Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Hey guys, Perry here. Let's make some mayhem. Shoot and loot your way through a mayhem-fueled adventure in Borderlands 3. Blast through new worlds and enemies as one of four new playable vault hunters, each with deep skill trees, abilities, and customization. Play solo or with your friends to take on insane enemies, score loads of loot, and save the galaxy from a fanatical threat. Mayhem is available now on PC, Xbox One, and PS4. Pre-order now at Borderlands.com. Rated M for Mature. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. On today's show, we're talking about downtown's big win at the box office. On top of that, Netflix looks like they're exploring new back-end deals for talent. And then Chernobyl. Chernobyl won really, really big at the Emmys. We're going to recap some of the highlights over there.
Welcome to a very special edition of Collider Movie Talk, brought to you by Heroes and Villains, which we're going to talk about more later in the show. We're also going to get to talk about some really cool topics with Angie Han and Jay Washington today. But first, you know what happens first now? It's the call sheet. We're highlighting the top five stories of the day, kicking it off with Downton Abbey at the box office. It was a huge weekend for the movie. It wound up earning $31 million domestically. It averaged $10,000 per theater. And on top of that, it scored an A on CinemaScore. As for our other two newcomers, we had Ad Astra, which snagged the number two spot. That one made $19.2 million. And after that, it was Rambo Last Blood, which pulled in an even $19 million. That was good enough for the number three spot this weekend. Moving over to our next story, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell are joining forces to star in a brand new take on A Christmas Carol. Daddy's home filmmakers Sean Anders and John Morris are set to write and direct the musical reimagining of the Charles Dickens classic. Next up now, we're moving on to that Netflix story. So big talent in movies, what usually happens is they get a back-end deal. With Netflix, though, they've had to rely on gigantic upfront arrangements, but now they're going to change things a little. It's looking like the streaming service is trying to change that by offering new bonuses for cast and crew if their films are successful. We're going to discuss that more on today's show. All right, moving on now. The Emmys. They spread the love around a good deal in the limited series categories, but it was Chernobyl that walked away with the most honors, and that includes best directing, best writing, and also best limited series overall. On top of that, we had Black Mirror Bandersnatch walk away with the best TV movie award, and when they see us, Jarell Jerome was named best actor in a TV movie or a limited series. Finally, for our today's call sheet, we've got a standout genre film that you really do not want to miss. Tigers are not afraid. It's about a group of orphan children armed with three magical wishes running from the ghosts that haunt them and the cartel that murdered their parents. And we're going to review it later on today's show. You do not want to miss that one. Next up, though, we got to catch up with Renee Zellweger, who, hey, she might have an Oscar nomination in her future. Check out my conversation with the Judy star. So I was reading that you were drawn to this project because it took you out of your comfort zone. The idea of playing an icon, the physicality of the role, the hair and makeup and everything. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that came up along the way that you didn't expect that really surprised you as far as challenges go? Well, I didn't know that we were seeing everything live. <laughs> that was a nice surprise, you know. Um, it, it, no, I don't know. I mean, it was, um, I'm really glad. I understand now why he wanted to do that, and I really appreciate that he did now. Judy's story is incredibly heartbreaking, but it's also really inspiring, and it was kind of a reminder to me just how many people out there have kind of gotten pushed around by the Hollywood industry a little bit. So I was wondering, is that something that drew you to this project, and is that one of the larger themes you discussed with Rupert a lot? Oh, yes. Oh, that was one of the first questions that I have for him. I wanted to understand why he wanted to focus on this period in her Mm -hmm. life. And he talked about contextualizing the circumstances that she was grappling with um, in her final chapter to better understand that the things that people lampooned and the things that they would write about that were so negative and how they tried to sort of blanket that period is tragic when you understand the circumstances and that the, the circumstances were the consequence of choices that were made on her behalf, not by her. Um, you know, it just really, I think, exemplifies how, how truly extraordinary she was 
that she was able to overcome what seemed to be insurmountable difficulties mm -hmm. that, again, were the consequence of, of choices made for her, um, that you can really see how, how really just extraordinary she was. And it also kind of paved the way to this feeling she had of not knowing how loved she really was. And I appreciate in the movie how she finds that love in people that she didn't really expect. So I'm just curious from your perspective, did you ever have a fan encounter that you kind of really needed at that point in your life? Oh, certainly. People are kind and very kind. Mm -hmm. And so if ever there's been a question about whether or not you should share that story with a person that you're seeing, um, the answer is, yeah, you should share that thing for sure. It makes me so happy to hear. <laughs> um, I was also reading a lot about how everybody was just so enthusiastic about bringing Judy's story to screen on mm -hmm. this. So was there anybody on the set that you would kind of designate the unsung hero? We know the cast, we know about Rupert, but was there anybody from you know a PA to someone on the catering team that just made a difference in your day because they worked so hard on this? Oh my gosh, every day. <laughs> Every day, that whole crew, every single person was there because they had this connection to Judy or their love for her, and they just wanted to express affection, you know? And my thanks to Andrew, who played the piano and warmed me up in all of the vocal sessions, for sure, because he was a great cheerleader and so kind. And Matt Dunkley, who is the composer, him too. And, uh, and Jeff, he's um, a producer, and he was there all the time, too. And I felt like impossible without my guys, you know? Oh, and Paul from uh, from the team. They were always there. And so when I had to get up on stage with the microphone and I would see them in the background, and they was like, come on. I just felt like I had, like, all my stage moms. <laughs> so, thanks, guys. Another person on the team that I have to ask you about, because she has a lot of big fans at Collider, is Jessie Buckley. Oh, come on. She's incredible. She's but beyond incredible, Did you yes. guys ever sing together for fun behind the scenes? I didn't sing with her. I just listen. I mean, she'd be howling some Susan Tedeschi in the morning, you know, and I'd be like, are you singing Susan Tedeschi? And she's like, yeah, I'm singing Susan Tedeschi. I just wanted to hear her because, gosh, that woman is, is a talent show. My dream come true is to see you get a nomination and see her nominated for Wild Rose right beside you. Oh, lovely. Fingers oh, my crossed. goodness. That's really kind. Thank you. That'd be a fun party. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. So clearly this was a very special experience for you. I'm curious if you could keep one quality of Judy Garland that you got to bring on screen in this movie for you for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Her courage. It enabled her to hang on to hope and to um, always look to the next good thing that was going to happen and, uh, you know, overcome what seemed to be insurmountable difficulty. For the record, I got to tell Renee Zellweger how obsessed I am with Empire Records, and it made my day. I am so thrilled to introduce our panel today because we actually have three guests today, one being my cousin Jody's Flat Stanley, who is going to hang with us for the whole show, and also Angie Han and Jay Washington. You've got some serious competition today. I didn't know what that was, and now that I know what it is, I want to see how you make it stand up the entire it's show. Ne it's never going to happen. Okay. This is, this is going to be the entire first segment, is me trying to get her to stay. Whoop, whoop. I, I, I already feel myself being Success. outshined by, uh, by your Flat Stanley. Yeah. Flat Stanley, yeah. 
I'm, I'm very impressed All by right. this. I actually, I love this. It's uh, so kids nowadays, they are assigned to design their own flat Stanley and then send it around the country to friends and family. And you're supposed to take flat Stanley to places that they don't get to experience. And then it's like show and tell when she comes back Aww. and you take pictures. So flat Stanley will have been on movie talk and she'll meet Dewey later. It'll be great. I can't wait <laughs> to find out what your flat Stanley thinks of the, you know, last weekend's box office. She's going to have some, some real thoughts on Downton Abbey right now, because as <laughs> we like said in the about. early preview downtown abbey did win the weekend but at astra and rambo last blood did pretty well as well so what do you guys think of the box office we'll open it up to the entire top five what stands out to you for me it is downtown abbey because with rambo last blood how many rambo fans you have sylvester stallone fans you have to know that it came out in more screens than downtown abbey but still came in third this, you know, this one, came, Rambo was in 3,600, oh, no, yeah, 3,618. Downton Abbey was in 3,079. And Downton Abbey just basically doubled, close to double, seven, short seven million of what Rambo did. And that's like nobody would have expected that. Well, that's why you got to look at the, the per theater averages. That's, yeah, that that's too, where and you that really too, yeah. see the big difference. And yeah, really, and that was double for sure. But it's just that you would not think that. You wouldn't think that its fan base and its viewership was that large to where it would it would eclipse Rambo. You know, people are like, yo, this is Rambo's last one. He finally going to die, hopefully. And then you see the numbers, and you're like, oh, people didn't care if he died or not. Like, they just... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Like, that's really what it is. Well, even with Downton Abbey, though, I feel like it did manage to reach out to people who didn't necessarily watch the show, like me included. I really couldn't believe how much I enjoyed this one. And I know the thing with Downton was it had huge pre-sales. So a lot of uh, folks out there who predict box office were worried that maybe it had really big pre-sales where the people who are big fans of the show prioritized Mm -hmm. it, but those sales would drop throughout the weekend. Turned out that wasn't the case. So it still did really really well but i was happy to see how uh, rambo and ad astra did too because you know we're talking about the end of september right now if you add up the top five that's a solid total even before you know joker comes out and yeah. dominates the box office angie what stood out to you on the list uh, I mean, you, you guys were talking about Downton Abbey. I also want to point out that Hustlers came in at number five, which mm-hmm. is uh, pretty good. I mean, it, it had a pretty it, – it opened really strong last weekend. It had a pretty good hold. And I think that one thing that it and Downton Abbey have in common is that they are servicing a certain type of moviegoer that, like – I feel like when we talk about box office and what we expect to be hits, a lot of times we're, like, we're, you know, kind of assuming that, like, the young men are – kind of the who we have to aim for but like i feel like the fact that downtown abbey did that well that hustlers did that well like it's a it's yet another reminder that like you know women will turn out for these movies and like in both cases they're not necessarily movies that are like they're not like the big superhero movie or whatever but Mm -hmm. like clearly there's an audience for this clearly there's an audience for something like downtown abbey where like in a you know at a time at a time when every it seems like every weekend the biggest thing is like a big action like CG heavy action movie like clearly there's also a really big audience for people who are like I just want to watch like proper British people polishing <laughs> spoons or whatever they do I never realized how much that appealed to me until now I mean the show is also a really big hit and I think that that's something that is easily forgotten because I think that as the show went on it became less and less buzzy of a hit like it, it yeah. it's not, it's not like one of those shows that like people are like oh it's one of the great greatest television shows ever like how people talk about like you know Mad Men or Breaking Bad or whatever but it's a show that like like always had a really strong solid fan base so 
I guess they turned out for it. Yeah, and when you look at the box office overall this weekend, it's a great example of a weekend with a lot of new competition, but competition that was all targeting a different viewership. And I feel like that that is oh, yeah. why they all kind of rose to the top because you could maybe say Downton and uh, and Hustlers have a little crossover, but then It Chapter 2 held fairly strong because it's the only horror movie in competition right now. And then Rambo was largely going for a male viewership. So this is true. Everything wins, and it's kind of nice. And I think that everything is going to win all over again next weekend because the big new wide release next weekend is the animated movie Abominable, which doesn't necessarily cross over with any of these. Any of these. So which ones of the top five do you guys think is going to have the strongest hold next weekend? Is that a cinema score that Downton Abbey got? Is it going to keep it firmly afloat next time? If I had to guess, I would say Downton is going to have a pretty strong hold. Like, I think the A-Cinema score speaks a lot to, like, the fact that fans who turned out for it love Loved it. it. And, yep. like, yeah. And they're going to, the ones who haven't seen it yet, they're going to see it. And then maybe even some more people like you who weren't fans of the show but, like, have heard good things will turn out to be like, well, I guess this is the time I, I become a Downton Abbey fan. And you'll have repeat viewers. Yes. You'll have repeat viewers. So I would that see helps it again in a heartbeat. See? See, and you you're... didn't even watch a show. You didn't even watch a show. You're like, I'm going to see this I movie. I purposely watched season one so I could catch up on all the names really quickly. But the second I have free time, I'm going to go back and burn through the rest of the season because I really enjoyed it. I know we were talking a little bit about this at the beginning of the show. And just because just about every movie talk panelist has weighed in at this point, I do want to ask you guys. Joker is in theaters in two weekends now. Mm. So... How high do you think that box office number is going to climb? The most recent projections had it at about $82 million. Yep, $82 million. I think it's going $100 million. I really believe it. Okay. I believe just because this is one of those movies that you have fans who want to spike critics and stuff like that who will go see it just because of that and see it multiple times. It look for Joe. I'm guaranteeing Joker does at least 100 million. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the reason. I think there's just like an incredible amount of interest out there, I but I don't think that's the only I'm going to say that's the yeah, only yeah, reason, sure. but that's a big part of it. I feel like usually when some when like Roka has like a really high box office oh, yeah. number, I'm like, "Are you no, that's, well, that's never happening." Roka but I likes to jump out the window with his box <laughs> office predictions. He'll probably say 150 or something. Yeah, I feel I, I don't want to put words in his like, mouth. We'll ask him soon talking. enough. <laughs> like, uh, 100 does sound like a reasonable sounds, ceiling, million. I believe Joker does 100 million. All right. Do you think 100 is just off the charts? I think 100 is doable for Joker. I mean, for a lot of the same reasons you guys said, it also had, like, really great buzz coming out of uh, the festival, yeah. the festivals. So, you know, the kind of people who care about festival buzz are also going to turn out for that. Also, it just it just seems like there's a lot of conversation about it. And also, when you, we were just talking about what other films are kind of the uh, at the top of the box office right now, and... I feel like there's there's still there's room in there for Joker to come. You know, it's like it's not a it's not a time of year where it, like the market for that kind of movie is super crowded. Joker might also benefit from the lack of horror movies in October, which I find extremely disappointing. Right? Yeah, Wait, there's there's not really, really there's not really I mean, you know, horror in terms of of uh like gunning for like the scary, yeah, yeah. you know, the midnight crowd type thing. It's like we do have the Adams Family animated movie. Which we, is, we by have... the way, when I heard it was, I heard Adams Family, I was like, why haven't we seen the trailer? Then I saw the trailer and found out it was animated. I didn't know it was going to be an animated movie. I was like, I feel kind of cheated. Like I wanted another live action. I wanted to see what you could do with that. You never but, know. This is true. One day. But also the fact, like I remember the time when we were getting Paranormal Activity and Saw movies every October. 
Yeah. And you knew, like, this is what October was. You were getting something like that. Well, it looks and, like last October we had Halloween. And we last October we had Halloween. And so now this October we don't really have that. But then next year I think we get Halloween too. Is it next year? Yeah, Halloween, next year. Halloween kills Halloween and then Halloween kills, ends. Yeah. So we get that next year, and then we'll start getting that feel back. But it's kind of weird this year you don't have that. But I don't know. you can kind of count Maleficent-ish. I don't know. She's Maleficent's like a, witch, she's a, like a witchy type of character. I, I'm stretching movie. things right now. But we <laughs> also have we've got Zombieland too, which I guess like it's an action comedy, but it's got zombies. I don't I, know. It's I'm, more of a horror it, movie than Maleficent. That's true. Yeah. But the only the only horror movie that I see on this list right here is really Countdown. The STX release, which I know next to nothing about. So it's hard to be hyped for the movie that's coming out the weekend before Halloween. Angie, yeah, I don't know anything I about it. I don't know. I heard it existed. That's yeah. about all I know. The teaser poster, I think, is all we have right now. I don't know anything about said film, so I won't speak on it. Well, STX is having a pretty solid year, given the fact that they just released Hustlers. So hopefully they'll start to like pump out some real promos right now to get people excited, because they don't really have all that much competition. I want to see them do something with it. Yeah, I mean... Let me know what this movie actually is. If it's a horror movie, please. <laughs> What's the countdown for? You know, I wonder what the countdown is to like. If I had time to look, when we jump into the next topic, I'll okay. try to look up the okay. synopsis for you. But uh, we do have to move on to our Netflix conversation. We talk about Netflix, the rise of streaming services versus traditional studios all the time. Now it looks like Netflix is introducing something that could be a major game changer for the streaming service to take a step closer to what the big movie studios do as far as giving the actors and filmmakers behind their biggest successes some actual bonuses after the movies come out. As we said in the call sheet earlier, what they traditionally do is they do something upfront because, as we all well know, Netflix doesn't have box office receipts, so they can't reward them with that money after the fact. Now they are exploring options to give folks bonuses for movies that are super successful on their platform, though. So you hear this update to Netflix's plan. Do you think this is a good idea for them? I mean, it makes sense to me. Like, it's it, it's a way to compete with... Uh, well, I think Netflix has... has ugh, I'm tripping over my words today. I think Netflix has explicitly said that this is their way of competing with, you know, like, they can't give people back-end deals and things like that. So it makes sense. It makes me wonder, though, what this is going to mean for us. Not I'm not a Netflix filmmaker, mm -hmm. but, like, I want to know. Are, are we going to get viewership numbers now? Does this Is, is this sh signaling a shift toward greater transparency on their part? I want that so, so badly. Not even necessarily to, like, it'll never play into the box office prediction game because it's just, it's comparing apples and oranges. Right. But, yeah. like, I just want to know because how many times recently have we covered you know bird box got x amount of million views but we don't really know what that means because we have nothing to compare it to which is frustrating and you know it, it could make what is truly a big a big success less meaningful i think it's going to do that give hopefully start giving out the numbers like you're going to have to have a graph you can't just say it had 56 million streams okay so something else may have had 100 million streams and you're not talking about it it's just because you're promoting this one also i think this is to lure in more big directors I think they were, they want to try to get these big name directors coming. They've had a few that aren't like of the big big names, but now it's like, hey, we're giving you bonuses to bring your work to our platform. You're so used to going to these studios who are giving you this back end deal, so they can say, hey, come with us. I mean, you got Ava DuVernay to produce when they see us, but you get people to her, like her to direct a film for you, and you start doing that. That's what they're trying to do as well. They're trying to make sure, hey, we're an actual movie studio 
in all aspects. So what do you think that these bonuses are going to be based on? Because this article I was reading on Bloomberg suggested two things. Like a prestige film might have bigger rewards if it wins awards. Like, let's say, with uh, When They See Us winning some Emmys. Mm -hmm. Then there's also things that you can compare to the big blockbuster movies that hit theaters. If it has the widest possible viewership, that's a reason to reward a movie. Is there anything beyond that they could be doing? You mean like other metrics that we think that they should be using? Yeah. I don't know. Subscription increases because of certain pl- projects? See, that's the that's the thing that I want data on because I I can't fully wrap my head around what is best for Netflix as an overall platform. It's like, should I be wowed by the view number or is it more about increasing subscriptions with every release? Yeah, because everybody, there are a lot of people, we talked about this before, Perry, people who are sharing Netflix accounts. That that happens. It just it is what it is, ladies and gentlemen. Please don't don't be like that doesn't happen. It does happen. But now you need to figure out how many people are getting their own accounts to to watch these products, these projects they're putting out. That's what they need to show. That's what that that what should be one of the biggest incentives. Like hey, so last month we had hypothetically fifty six million subscribers. Now after this project release, we now have sixty six million. You know something along those lines. This way they can have that bar to use that. I think, though, that it would be difficult to know for certain, like, oh, people signed on because of this new, this specific new movie or this specific Mm -hmm. new show. I think the other part of it, though, is uh, just trying to retain the subscribers you have, especially at a time when everyone is launching their own streaming service. You have, like, a dozen options that you could do that aren't Netflix. So now they need to, now they, like, I think that this this seems to me like maybe it's a way to keep, to make sure that subscribers feel like they have to, continue having a Netflix account like you know if there's a movie that has huge viewership numbers and all your friends have seen it then you need a Netflix account or have access to a Netflix Netflix account account. uh, to feel like you're still part of the conversation to like know what other people are talking about if it's like an awards thing that like you know then everyone's talking about that like you're gonna need to keep up with that so I think uh, I think especially at a time when everyone when all the streaming services are splitting up kind of the bigger hits like you know you keep hearing about like how Seinfeld has been bouncing around from service to service uh having you know giving people an incentive to make sure that these movies aren't just appealing to a niche audience but like a really broad portion of their subscriber base could be helpful for tying back to something Jay just brought up with the password sharing thing I I'm surprised we never discussed this that much when we were discussing that topic on movie talk but do you think there's a way that Netflix could change their platform Mm -hmm. to encourage people not to password share something it's like I know at this point you can have different profiles but is there any feature they can introduce that makes Netflix like a must subscribe for the individual I mean that that seems like you know the puzzle to solve. But I think that's what they're trying to do now with a lot of their original content. If you look at all the documentaries they're doing, those apply to different type of individuals because of the different things they cover. Their individual, their new, their original TV shows, their original movies. That's their way of trying to do it. I don't think it's anything else they can do. It's like this is a terrible idea. It wouldn't work. But I was almost thinking, you know, not necessarily like like a chat function or a message board type thing, but but something that. Something that would make your account your own and you would need to have access solely to that, like for you to have the fullest possible experience. Because, like, wouldn't, would that not be the game changer for them, especially with all the competition coming up with Disney Plus and everything else? I, like, I feel like whoever cracks <laughs> that, that solves that puzzle could maybe get a leg up. 
doesn't Netflix already have a cap on like how many simultaneous yes. streams? That yeah, you can like was it three or four? So yeah, like I think that that's probably the best way to do it is just to be like you can only have one. I was looking then... for a creative solution, but it it makes a ton of sense. That is what they're doing. And like I feel like more chat... than anything else, that makes it so that you cannot share an account with like eight people if you guys are all heavy Netflix users. You guys have to get more than one. So especially like if you have a chat or a message board function that somebody I, has again, to respond to. I said that that was the worst oh, idea. Yeah, but just like, just you... to put you guys down the path of the kind of functionality yeah, I was thinking of. The, the turnover rate or of that company like, would be. I don't know, like like the rewards program no, no, that certain apps have. It's like if you watch X amount of movies by this particular filmmaker, I don't know, you get the Ava DuVernay badge or something like that. Well, what they do is they do certain projects where certain things where there's extra footage that you can only, you know, view behind the regular project. For instance, Dave Chappelle Sticks and Stones. He had a 25 minute epilogue that you could only see if you watch Sticks and Stones. So something like that on a bigger scale, like, hey, watch this movie and you'll get this extra thing. Well, things like actually bringing up uh, the Emmys, things like Bandersnatch encourage that. Because now that I'm thinking about it, my my viewing experience with Bandersnatch was my entire family got together and we all wanted to watch it on the Apple TV. And it didn't work because it's it's user oriented. So I had to sit there by myself and click the answers by myself. So I don't know. Maybe now that Bandersnatch is an an Emmy Award winner, maybe more things like that will encourage people. About to do more of those choose your yeah. own adventure movies. They're definitely it won an Emmy. That's all you needed to know that like Bandersnatch was just the first. Had Bandersnatch completely fit like even the fact it was nominated let you know they were gonna do more movies like Bandersnatch. If nothing else happened after everybody talked about it and it just fell off the face of the earth, nothing. You're gonna get a whole and black mirror on top of that. Yeah, there's about at least three of those coming down the pipeline, ladies and gentlemen. Wait for it. I mean, didn't on the technical side, didn't they also have to like kind of install new technology in yeah. the yeah. like in the Netflix interface to mm-hmm. like make something like Bandersnatch possible? So like, if you've invested that much time and money into it, of course you're going to try to do something it. like that again. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, it's a truly unique storytelling experience that I've never quite had like that. So I applaud did you them watch, for it. Did you go through everything? I was watching for a while. I do think that I got through a good deal of it, but there there was something like like a crazy amount of minutes and and whatever I amounted yeah. to just came nowhere close to that. <laughs> Did you? I didn't do all. I went through a few different ones, and then, but then after a certain point, I was like, okay, this is getting repetitive. I'm just gonna. I just I got hooked into it. It was a rabbit hole. You just start going down. You're like, all right, so I've got this far. I went down here. I know where it goes. Let me do this. Like the one where he tells you he's. It's Netflix watching him and tell him if somebody control. Yeah, there's one. Spoiler alert, by the way. There's an option where if you tell it, it'll tell you it's Netflix watching you and controlling you, and it's the craziest one. See, but this kind of ties back to what I was trying to get at before. It's like it's a personal experience yeah. like the experience you had watching bandersnatch is so wildly different from our own so i don't know maybe more things like that could encourage people to password share a little less especially if it's a situation where it's like this hot title like a black mirror title and we drop it that second you feel the urgency to watch it asap and let's say you can't concurrently stream as many as you'd like i mean now i'm now i'm just thinking like very wildly but like that banner snatch almost felt like a video game and you were talking about like the possibility of making it more social so if it became more of a video gamey platform if they did it in that direction that could also be a reason that everyone has to have their own account and you can't just share an account with like your you know a bunch of people like a game type account where if you achieve a certain something you unlock footage that nobody else could see i want them to do that with a comedy 
do it's that with like, like a, a com- Bandersnatch oh, yeah. comedy? Like a comedy where you can choose what the characters do. Like we've always watched certain comedies like Big Bang Theory, Friends, Living Single, all those. you like, what would, like for instance, for me with Martin, what would happen if we knew what Tommy's job really was? Like what is the adventure you go on those different things? That's something unique that I think if only the primary subscriber can have access to, that's something they can utilize. But yes, if you make Martin where Tommy has a job and we know what his job is, I want all the credit for it. All right. Let's toss this to the viewers right now, because I am curious if you have any ideas of extra additional uh, Netflix functions that might encourage people to have their own account that you would genuinely be interested in using. Put it in the comment section below. We'd love to read about it before we move on to our final topic, which, of course, is the Tigers are not afraid review. I have to remind you that we are taking your live chat questions at the end of the show. So send them in. Get Dorian's attention ASAP. And on top of that, we've got some shows on Collider Video to plug. Check it out. Hey, everyone. John Roca here, the host of Collider Sports Time. Well, you know, if you've been watching us every week, you know we break down the latest and the greatest in the world of sports, talk about the big issues, the big games, all of it with a rotating band of guests like Matt Nose and Josh McCuga. We've had Taylor Bashotti on. We've had so many great guests. Now, if you want to see more of Sports Time or you want to try it out for the first time, remember to subscribe to Collider Sports' YouTube channel for all the sports goodness. Hey, guys. Riley here, and let me tell you about Rule of Two. You looking for a Star Wars fix? Well, Rule of Two is that show. It drops in on Collider Video's main YouTube channel, as well as on Podcast One's Jedi Council feed. So go over there, subscribe, share it with your friends. It's hosted by myself and Mark Fernandez. We talk everything in the Star Wars universe with a lot of deep dives and a lot of conversations that go all in. You know what to do. Subscribe, join us there, and rise. It is officially time for our Heroes and Villains review of Tigers Are Not Afraid. I'm so excited for this segment for a number of reasons, but I'm also kind of excited to show off this jacket. So Heroes and Villains, it's pretty cool. I mean, we're all big fans of certain franchises out there like Star Wars, Star Trek, X-Men, so much more. And if you kind of want to celebrate your fandom, but with casual, high-quality clothing... Like, that's where you go. You go heroesvillains.com. And the cool thing now is if you want anything like this jacket, we have a promo code that you could use. It's TALK15. And if you use that at checkout, you get 15% off. So some cool clothes. You said villains. I'm in. Oh, of course. Yep, Resident supervillain. I'm here. Let's I do actually this. think I'm giving like a little bit of what I know about Angie away, but I feel like you could adopt the same mentality. Be uh, you're, you're like a, the villains. You're like a conniving villain in the background. Nobody oh, suspects you, you, and you you just like walk mm. around with your villainous cat Roger, and everybody just doesn't think you're capable of it. But you are. Thank you. That's the, that's the sweetest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> that's I like mean, the most non-villain response you could have given me. But that's how you know <laughs> it's, it's evil. But that's how you know it's evil. That's the sweetest thing anyone could have said to me. Yes, you called me a villain, and I was like, that's so sweet. I'm God, so, I'm so you guys are such like a devilish duo. I kind of love it. Black villains matter. <laughs> All right, let's roll into this review of Tigers Are Not Afraid, which is currently available on Shudder. In case you missed it at the beginning of the show, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis. So Tigers Are Not Afraid follows a group of orphan children armed with three magical wishes running from the ghosts that haunt them and the cartel that murdered their parents. So the reason that we're covering this on today's show is because many of you out there asked for a review of this movie and also because ever since this movie started screening, it's been making waves. People have been going nuts over it. So you have both finally watched it. What did you think of Tigers Are Not Afraid? I liked it because it caught me off guard. I did not know what to expect. But then when certain things started happening, I was like, whoa. Like, are we spoiler free? or Spoiler free. No spoilers Okay. Here. So certain things when it comes to uh, 
Estrella's character, what she deals with, how she's being, you know, how she has to deal with everything, going with the kids. I was like, this is deep. I didn't expect it to get this deep. You know, I didn't. And it felt like it was the another version of a loser's club, in a sense, looking at the kids together. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how I put it, put it in my head. It's like, this is like the loser's club from It. But I rocked with this heavy. I, I kept pause. <laughs> I had to go to the bathroom. I paused it. I was like, let me make sure I don't miss nothing. I liked it. I like, love the Jay Washington poll quote. Tigers are not afraid. I rocked with this heavy. I rocked with this heavy. <laughs> heavy. I, no, I second that. I think that's one of the strongest, and I say one of the strongest qualities in the movie is the, you know, the coming of age group of kids you fall for, that kind of vibe. Because... That group is something else. I mean, within minutes of the movie, you kind of fall right into step with them. You, mm-hmm. You're really emotionally attached to them. And they're going through such a devastating situation that like, it, it just breaks your heart at every twist and turn along the way. And a lot of people out there have been comparing this movie to a lot of Guillermo del Toro movies like Pan's Labyrinth, which I think is a very fair comparison mm-hmm. because the other quality of this movie that I think one makes it a standout and I thought was just so beautifully done is how... It had a very realistic vibe to it with a lot of handheld camera work, but then it also wove in the fantasy qualities to it. The way that she utilizes the three wishes was just so on point. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I didn't know that much about it going in, so I kind of expected it to be a more straightforward horror movie. It's a very, it's a very sad movie, and uh, I think much like Pan's Labyrinth or it, it's a, it's a movie that uses a lot of like, you know, kind of fantasy to help you process something that is just essentially unprocessable because like the kids go through hell and back in this movie. Mm-hmm. When she uses the last wish. I was like, yo, that is not what I expected to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the interesting things about the use of the wishes, too. I mean, it's kind of what you were just getting at, Angie. It's like we have all of these very familiar fantasy movie tropes that are used in much darker ways than you would ever expect. And just the creativity behind those decisions really, really just like, I mean, they mesmerized me at points, and I I thought it was just such a well-done script. They gave me Wishmaster vibes with the way they did it. How, if you remember the Wishmaster movies, you'd make a wish and think it was the best thing for you, but it would always turn around and have a negative consequence. And everything she did with those and everything following through, like you said, the real-life situation of the dealing with the cartel is like, yeah, this is real from what you've heard stories of. And to see it interwoven with the fantasy horror element is just crazy. It's really devastating. And I just, I have a feeling now that director Issa Lopez is a name we're going to hear over and over. I mean, would you guys assume that based on how big of a hit Tigers Are Not Afraid is now that she's going to wind up snatching up a bigger project in the near future? Absolutely. I think so. I hope so. I mean, like, regardless of what other people think of it or how much money it's making, like, it was a movie that I was just like, she has such a strong creative vision. I cannot wait to see what she does next. Yeah, I wanted to shout out, I like, apologies if I don't pronounce these names right, but I feel like it's criminal to leave this review without shouting out the actors in the two lead roles. Estrella is played by... Paola Lara, and she is just... She's amazing. She's one of those young actors who just has, like, a look on her face that will immediately suck you and you can't take your eyes off of her, and she just, I don't know, she's so expressive without saying anything at points. I was blown away by her, and Shina was played by Juan Ramon Lopez, and wow, wow, that kid can command a screen, and he is given a ton of dialogue, and he just handles it so well. You would think like you you hear kid you hear child actors, 
and you think so at first, oh, they'll be limited to what they say and what they do, and sometimes parents won't let them go the full range they're supposed to go. In this situation, with Juan Romez, Juan Romez, Ramon, Juan Ro, Ramon, Ro, Ramon, Ramon Lopez. Lopez. It was a lot of names I was putting together. I'm sorry. But the way he did it, every bit of dialogue he had and every emotion he was supposed to convey, it all came through the screen perfectly. It got you every single time from when he was playing around with the other members, the other members of the orphans with his gang, when he was dealing with the emotional strife of figuring out about his parents and stuff like that, dealing with Australia, everything. You just saw it. And he's actually won an award. I was doing some research on it. Uh, he had won an award for Best Breakthrough Actor at the Ariel Award. So Good for him. Yeah, yeah. well-deserved. Well-deserved. So speaking of our earlier Netflix conversation, do you think that – Tigers Are Not Afraid is a movie that can hopefully draw more people to sign up for Shudder. Hmm. I don't know because I feel like it's something that I don't I don't know that if I if like you don't already have a, a subscription that like I feel like if you have a subscription, then you're like, OK, this is a movie I want to watch. I don't know that this movie by itself is going to make people be like, I want to watch a movie from this like filmmaker that I may or may not have mm-hmm. heard of or whatever. I do think, though, that like building up a catalog of really strong, like acclaimed horror movies is a way to like I don't think this. So basically, I don't think this movie by itself will get people signing up in droves mm-hmm. but i think it's part of if it's part of a larger catalog of really compelling content then like that'll be you know especially for horror movies maybe it'll be a thing where it's like if you want to know what horror movies are coming out now you have to have a shutter account which they're amassing right now i mean that library i think is is well beyond what many assume because i also think the second you say horror it kind of boxes it into a certain type of horror movie but True. This has just about everything. I mean, even Tigers Are Not Afraid isn't a straightforward horror movie. I mean, I wonder actually, Jay, if that's why you got something you didn't expect out of this. Did you go in expecting yeah, a straightforward I horror actually movie? Did. When I did. In the very like first 10 minutes when you hear the stories mm-hmm. that's being told and with the tigers. So I'm expecting something completely different. And so I'm already into it, thinking this horror element of what that is going to be. But as I'm watching it, I'm getting something else, and I'm just as impressed, mm-hmm. and I'm loving it just as much. I honestly will rewatch this before my trial expires off my Shutter account. <laughs> I'll take that. We actually didn't even talk about how incredible some of the animation is done in this movie, and again, how creatively well woven it is to the overall narrative. I just can I say this one thing? You two will understand if you've seen the movie. You know what I'm talking oh. about. The little tiger, yeah. The little tiger, little tiger puppet. Did, bear. did you squeeze Roger while you were watching that? No, like, because I, I watched it in a theater and I didn't bring my cat oh, to the theater. I, I missed all the screenings, which made me very sad. So I did watch it at home, but with Dewey on my lap, which was a necessity for that part of the movie. I, I was like, the little thing it was just it was like. <laughs> all right, so all around thumbs up for Tigers Are Not Afraid? Yes. Yes. Me, yes. Go check it out, then hit the comment section below. Let us know what you think of it. All right, let's roll into some of these live chat questions. How about this one from Krizia, who wants to know, given the new trailer, do you think Frozen 2 has done enough to attract people outside their main audience, which is families and kids? I didn't watch it this morning, so I don't know. So... What I'll tell you about the trailer that they just dropped is that this one is much more action heavy. I think it highlights some of the bigger action set pieces in the Mm. movie, which kind of surprised me and actually ties into what Krizia did ask. I think that, 
you know, whenever you're a Disney animated movie, you're automatically going to get a specific type of audience. So it's about having trailers that have a different feeling and a different vibe to it. And this one did stand out from the other. So I don't necessarily know if it branches out beyond the people who aren't already interested, but it's nice to see a trailer with a semi-different flavor to it. Yeah, it's going to be hard for a Disney animated film to go outside of its norm, to grab people. Which is huge anyway. Yeah, to, to grab people that normally wouldn't, again, to grab a hypothetical Rambo fan to go see Frozen 2 because now you've amped up the action in this trailer. So those, I mean, I, I would love to hear that. I mean, I know me as a dad, when I go to Tacoma, I'm going to have to go watch Frozen 2 because I've already had to sing Let It Go a million times already mm-hmm. with my six-year-old. So, I mean, I'll go see it. And I'll go as an open viewer, not just because this is my daughter watching it. And if I like it, I like it. You won't be able to judge me. Are you excited for Frozen at all? I feel like I don't know where Frozen falls on, like, the, the Angie interest meter. Uh, somewhat. I mean, I liked the first one, like, but it wasn't, like, my favorite movie or anything. I'm curious about this one. <gasps> I just remembered what we did when Frozen came out. We did the sing-along. That we did. Yes. That was so much That was so You much did not fun. sing, though. Of you course I did. I just sat and there and sipped on Prosecco. I did. I did. It was delightful. So thank you and to Christy for, uh... Showing me a good time because that was hilarious. All right. Let's take a question from Thelonious who wants to know, I just saw Downton Abbey and enjoyed it without seeing a single episode of the series. Do you think that will be the same case with El Camino or should I watch Breaking Bad? Oh, um, I feel like I haven't seen El Camino, obviously, so I don't know what I can't speak to that specifically. But I always felt like Breaking Bad was so heavily serialized that I don't know i don't know i would assume it's if it's like that then you would have to be familiar with the show yeah you got to be familiar with the characters so i think you have to see breaking bad at least catch up possibly i know it's hard to binge through all of it but maybe the first and last season or something like that because you need to know who some of these players are that are going to be in el camino but i would have said the same thing going into downton abbey that, see, that's the thing, is I was going to answer this question the same way you guys did, where I'm like, oh, in Breaking Bad's case, you'd have to watch it all, but mm-hmm. really, shouldn't El Camino be able to stand on its own two feet with its own fully-formed narrative also? I mean, of course, someone who has watched all of the, the show is going to have a different experience than someone who's just stepping in, but it should still feel like a complete story one way or the other. I mean, my suspicion is that it's going to be like a lot of those other shows that have been turned into movies lately, like uh, Deadwood or Veronica Mars. Like, and I think in all cases, there is some effort made to like acknowledge that some of the people watching it have not seen the show or maybe did see the show but saw it so long ago they don't remember. Uh, but I also still think that probably as of those, you're still going to get more out of it if you've seen it. Yeah. Or pe- what it'll do is people will go see the movie then automatically run to go watch Breaking Bad, catch up on all the, to binge on all the seasons to figure it's always out, nice when wait, this is how, how did, how did we all come to this situation right here at this point? So you're going to have one or two things happen. I'm personally thinking a lot of people are like, okay, let me watch a little bit first so I don't go in completely blind. All right. I think that's a fair assessment there. Let's get one more question in and I have to do this because Halloween is so soon now. So Keith Bachelor wants to know, with the Halloween season right around the corner, what is your favorite horror film to start the holiday season? So what's movie number one leading up to Halloween? A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Wow. (laughs) That's a good, good call. Three. It's got to be three because that's where he started. Freddy was was still killing people, but then he started having fun when he was killing people. Yes, hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And you get Kincaid for the first time. Roland Kincaid. 
<laughs> I think I'll go with. I, so I obviously have like a mile long list of movies that of I have to watch leading up to Halloween. <laughs> but what throws me off about this question is the favorite film to start the holiday season. Actually, all right, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to bookend my Halloween season. So the very last movie I like to watch on Halloween, Trick or Treat. So I'm going to start with Trick or Treat to get all those vibes going. Then I'm going to watch a whole bunch of movies in between and then close it out with Trick or Treat as well. I think I'm going to get my Halloween season started off strong with a rewatch of Gore Verbinski's The Ring, which is one of my favorite horror movies because it is terrifying. <laughs> uh, it's one of the most scaredest I've ever been while watching movies. So I think I'll just I think I'll just start strong. Just All right. There. Yeah. So we got a we got a trio of selections here to kick off your Halloween watching and I hope you enjoy them all. I very much enjoyed hanging out with you two today and with Flat Stanley. So thank you Angie and Jay for coming here bright and early on your Monday. Thank you for having me. It's always good being here. Now I'm here early, so this is a whole new thing for me, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and you can handle it. She's fine. Uh, thank you, Flat Stanley, for having me on. And Perry, well, you're okay, thank, too. Thank you, thank you, Flat Stanley, yeah. for you know, being this a great host. This is the most host. important thing. We also have to give a big thanks to Adam in the booth and Doreen in the live chat for all your hard work. It is greatly appreciated, as are all of you out there. Do not leave this episode of Movie Talk without liking and sharing it. And don't forget, tune in tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Pacific. We're going to have a brand new episode for you. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.